0: This is my very last sermon. It could be. I don't know. This is your very last Yom Kippur. It might be. You don't know. It is possible that we might not be here next year, at this time, on this day. And so I ask you, is your house in order? Yom Kippur is the most awesome day of the entire year, because today is the dress rehearsal for our own deaths. Yom Kippur is called Yom Hamita, the day of death. We are emptied without our creature comforts to remind us of being alive. We don't eat. We don't drink. We don't put on perfume. We don't have sex. We don't wear leather shoes. We even wear white traditionally, a kittle, a shroud, which says, this is what I will wear when I die. So what about death? Most of us deal with death either in fear or in denial. Even when the great Rav Nachman was dying, the Talmud teaches that he implored Rava to beg the angel of death not to torment him as he died. Rava replied to him, Master, aren't you esteemed enough? You're Rav Nachman. Can't you beseech the angel of death on your own accord? Rav Nachman considered this for a moment and asked himself, who is esteemed, who is regarded, who is distinguished in the face of death itself? And after he died, he appeared to Rava in a dream. And Rava asked him if it was a painful death, if he was tormented. Rav Nachman said, it was not painful at all, but I did not suffer. If God, the Holy One, asked me to go back to that world, to the world of life, I would not do it. So great is the fear of death. The fear of death. In 2005, at the graduation of the class at Stanford University, Stephen Jobs spoke to the graduating class. He said these words, Some of you might have heard them in the last week. Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear, or embarrassment, or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. He said, death is very likely the single best invention of life. It is life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. Right now, the new is you. But someday, not too long from now, you will gradually become the old and be cleared away. He said, I'm sorry to be so dramatic, but this is quite true. Steve Jobs was right. No one wants to die, and in reality, nobody even wants to talk about his or her own death. We heard those powerful words of the Una Tanatokev, who shall live and who shall die, who by fire, who by water. But that's in a prayer once a year. We confront this every single day of our lives. How can Yom Kippur help us prepare for our death? Think about the wisdom in just taking one day every year, this day, to confront, to contemplate, and face it, so that when we arrive there, it's not as scary, as unfamiliar, or as shocking. The Una is blatant in its theology. The great shofar is sounded, and whether it's in a blast or a still, small voice, we all hear the same thing. Yom Kippur helps us to reckon with our final days. We feel it every day, whether it's in our face. As we read the paper, we look at the obituaries. Who in old age? Or when we see an ambulance at the scene of a car crash, who by accident? Watching a documentary about the drought in the Horn of Africa, who by thirst? Or waiting for the results of a biopsy or a blood test who by sickness the Unatana Tokev teaches us that god writes us in the book of life or not on this day but that three things can temper or even change this severe decree and they are tefillah tzedakah and tshuva, we prayed them before. Tshuva is the act of reflection and repentance, tfilah are the prayers of your heart, and Sadaqa is acting in the world to make it a more just place. Doing these three things can transform your death into life everlasting for those who come after you. The unatanatokev makes it clear we have no control over when or why or how we will die. That is truly in God's hands doing these three things will not change the fact that you are going to die i don't think the severe decree is actually death but what lives on of you after you're gone you have the choice to either be a blessing or a curse when you die in the torah portion for today which we will read god says i set before you life and death blessing and curse therefore choose life that you may live you and all of your descendants. Choosing how we live now, in this moment, will definitely affect those who come after us. Abraham Joshua Heschel taught, if life is a pilgrimage, death is an arrival, a celebration. The last word should neither be craving nor bitterness, but peace and gratitude. We have been given so much. Whatever we give away is so much less than what we receive. He teaches perhaps this is the meaning of dying, to give one's whole self away. For the pious person, it then becomes a privilege to die. Jewish traditions around death and burial and mourning are very, very wise. If you have the opportunity to partake in them, to engage in them, and to let them be your guide, going through the inevitability of a loss is a much, much different experience. As your rabbi, I have buried many people. I have stood with you to bury your parents, your spouses, your siblings, and even your children. I'm there in the hospital room when death arrives. I'm there at the cemetery when you say goodbye, when you shovel dirt onto the casket or scatter ashes in the wind. And I'm there with you at home, sitting Shiva. This year, I buried three children under the age of two. I have lived in your grief. And we have walked through the valley of the shadow of death together. I have learned a great deal about death from you. And I have something to tell you. Death can be as natural as birth. If we can understand death not as a terrible, negating disappearance or an abandonment, but as a homecoming, we can pass ourselves and our legacies on to whoever comes next in a healthy and a righteous way. I have seen the profound difference it makes in the grieving process when someone dies and their house is in order, and when someone dies and their house is a mess. I have the profound blessing to witness the fabric of your lives, and I'm there when families are strengthened by our tradition or when your life unravels without it. So I ask you to consider these two experiences. Judy was 81 when she died. She was still living in the four-bedroom home where she and her husband Paul had raised their children on the peninsula. In the 20 years since Paul died, she had not revisited their will. She had not discussed the end of her life plans with anyone. Her children assumed she wanted to be buried next to their dad, but one of her daughters insisted that she wanted to be cremated. Her children had turned her house upside down looking for the documents, the bank statements, the bills. Anger seeped out of wounds from their past. One daughter could only talk about the number of boxes it would take to pack everything and what would they do with it before the funeral. Her grandson Jake took me aside crying. He felt no one was going to be able to honor her memory because they could only fight. Judy Shiva was cold and lifeless. People only stayed a short time. I asked her son why he had never talked to his mom about what she wanted at the end of her life. He told me she never brought it up, and he never had the time. Jeremy had been diagnosed with lymphoma when he was 68 years old. After his diagnosis, he and his wife Susan sold their home. They donated most of their belongings to Jewish Family and Children's Services. And then they moved into a two-bedroom apartment down the street from their son Sam. In the year after his diagnosis, Jeremy walked Sam and his sister Rachel through all of his files. He had a living will, an advanced care directive, and he had taken care of most of his arrangements before he began to deteriorate. He spoke honestly and openly with all of his family members, even through his tears. Sam told me that one of the best and worst days of his life when he and his mother went to the home of Peace Cemetery in Colma to pick out graves for his parents. I asked him, why was this the best moment? And he said he was so relieved that he had the time to have the hard conversations with his parents while they were still alive. He really said goodbye to his dad, heard all the stories he had to tell, laughed and cried together. And those conversations were the key to his own ability to truly mourn and to engage in the tradition of Shiva. Jeremy told Sam, you have to serve my mother's chopped liver recipe at the Shiva. And Sam showed me the recipe in his grandmother's handwriting. At Jeremy and Susan's apartment, people shared stories and laughed and remembered Jeremy with love. The members of Emmanuel who had served Susan and Jeremy meals during the months leading up to his death were there. They arrived with copious amounts of food. We listened to his favorite music. His granddaughter played his piano. And we ate too much chopped liver. What is the difference between these two families? One had been given the gift of a peaceful ending, the gift of Judaism's wisdom to comfort and carry and bring them back from death to life. One had stories and joyful memories and a house in order. One had pain and anguish and no real way to come to closure at the end of a life. Shiva really works. You stop shaving, you wear a black ribbon over your heart, you show everyone around you your pictures, you share your memories, you take a break from life and live in the presence, the shadow of death for seven days and then slowly make your way back to life. I don't want you to deny your experience of grief or of loss because Shiva can bring you back to life. It can bring you home and it can bring your Judaism closer to you. Just as you are courageous and you show up here each year to confront the most awesome and in many ways the most terrifying day of the Jewish year, be audacious in what you say, what you ask, and how you prepare yourself and those around you for your own death. The mitzvot that temper the severe decree takes courage. Yom Kippur is teaching us that the way we live is the way we will die. The way we do our tshuva and tefillah and tzedakah is the way that we will live on in the hearts and the minds and the lives of those who come after us. They really do take us with them. So on this Yom Kippur, I'm asking you to do something, a few things. I'm asking you to start the conversation with your parents or your children. Make time to talk face-to-face about this very difficult subject. I found that many parents don't talk to their kids about their own death, not because they don't want to, but because they think their children don't want to. Your parents will thank you, and your children will too. No one wants to say goodbye to their parents, and no one wants to leave this earth. But we all do. So please have your conversations while you're still here. Don't let anything go unsaid. There is someone in your life today who you need to talk to. You haven't initiated that conversation. What if this is your last Yom Kippur? Imagine what you need to say to that person you won't be able to say next year. Say it this year. Say it today. Call them. Visit them. Who was that? (laughs) I didn't mean right now. (laughs) Do your tshuva as Rabbi Eliezer taught. Have that conversation the day before you die. Next, let go and get rid of your stuff. You know the stuff. I don't mean metaphorically that stuff. I mean the stuff that's your clothes, your jewelry, your boxes, your garage, the things that we have that, that crowd us physically. Go through those things and let go of them. I am sure our children and our environment will thank us later. Write a living will, a power of attorney, an advanced care directive, write an ethical will, and choose to become an organ donor this year if you haven't yet. Be clear with what you want to have happen to you. Most people that I know who are under 50, and have all of this in order, have the paperwork, have had their conversations, have already gone through some sort of health crisis themselves, a heart attack, a cancer diagnosis, or they suffered a loss earlier in their lives that made these decisions seem so much more imminent. Finally, I want you to think about where you are, each Yom Kippur. Look up. Look at the windows, look at these lights. Then look down, really look down at these chairs where you're sitting. Think about the Jews who created this community 161 years ago. Those who labored to build this synagogue, they weren't just thinking of themselves. They were thinking of us. And I want you to think about who was here last year, either sitting in the sanctuary or in your life, and is no longer with us. And I want you to think about how powerful the legacy is that you carry with you of those people who are now gone. And I also want you to think about who will be sitting in these seats when you're no longer here. Think about your siblings, your spouses, your children, your friends, and your grandchildren. Who will get those people, your loved ones, through Shiva and back to life. Now I want you to look around at each other. These are the people who will carry your legacy into the future. I know this is a lot to ask of you to do, it's only one day, but it is Yom Kippur. And so I have posted resources on the Emmanuel website Don't look for them right now. Wait until tomorrow. (laughs) I've included living and ethical wills, the power of attorney, advanced care directives that I hope will help you to begin the conversation and help to get your own house in order. You can look on the website in the worship section under sermons. I have known several people who have written their own obituaries several times. (laughs) But think about it. Think about what it would be like to write what you hope other people would say about you when you were no longer here. Would the words that you feel about yourself be congruent with what was written when you aren't here anymore? Now, there, there is a point at which you can get too involved in planning your own Shiva. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the story of the man who was lying in his deathbed at home. He was literally hours away from death and he smells this smell, the smell of his favorite chocolate chip cookies coming into his room, beckoning him back to life. And he literally pushes himself out of the bed and he walks down the hall and there he sees in the kitchen his wife and trays and trays of chocolate chip cookies. He walks over and he reaches his hand out for a delicious steaming warm chocolate chip cookie. And hearing him, she turns around and she slaps him with a spatula. And she says, don't you dare, those are for the Shiva. I would like to end with a short story from a book called Have a Little Faith by Mitch Albom. A man seeks employment on a farm. He hands his letter of recommendation to his new employer. It says simply, he sleeps in a storm. But the owner is desperate for help, so he hires the man. Several weeks pass, and suddenly, in the middle of the night, a powerful storm rips through the valley. Awakened by the swirling rain and howling wind, the owner leaps from his bed. He calls for his new hired hand, but the man is sleeping soundly. He dashes off to the barn, and he sees, to his amazement, the animals are secure, they're safe, and they have plenty to eat. He runs out to the field, and to his amazement, the bales of wheat have been bound, and they are all wrapped in tarps. So he races to the silo, the doors are latched, all of his grain is dry. And then he understands. He sleeps in a storm. My friends, if we tend to the things that are important in life, if we are right with those we love and we behave in line with our beliefs, Our lives will not be cursed with the aching throb of unfulfilled business. Our words will always be sincere. Our embraces will be tight. We will never wallow in the agony of, I could have, I should have. We can sleep in a storm, and when it's time, our goodbyes will be complete. Don't worry. This is only your dress rehearsal. Or this is your last Yom Kippur. Get your house in order. You aren't taking anything with you, but they are taking you with them. Amen.